Everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. I'm very excited tonight because I have David Pruitt from Hillsboro, Texas with me. Uh, so David, like many people, I get to meet on the uh, the circuit, if you will, you know, and uh, I actually got to meet him at, um, I think it was Dingus. Yeah, the Dingus uh, uh, yep, party, Dingus. right, at FDIC. Yep. And, and definitely Nick picked a really, really eclectic spot so it, it was unique uh yeah yeah i'm not so, sure if they had to clean up after us but we probably should have cleaned up after them yeah. shout out to dingus fire equipment by the way not a sponsor of the show but good people and and a, a solid company nonetheless but um anyway we that's where, where i got the chance to meet you with uh sean duffy we were up in the champagne room section of the establishment <laughs> yes. overlooking the floor i think or whatever it was uh called there the, but, the main stage yeah yeah um but and it was a dueling piano bar, so that, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it turned into, yeah. And then you and I met again out at Revolutionary Fire Texas at the yep. lake, and um, we never had the conversation. But on top of your esteemed fire service career, you're also an entertainer of sorts. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've and been extremely fortunate. Yeah, in that endeavor also. And I I I play a barroom piano, um, self taught. Awesome. So like we and so we never pianos kind of intersected because there's a piano at the regalia, and I was playing it, and I think you had left or something like that. Oh, but like, yeah. Um, and and then I had to sing uh, my rendition of uh, I think it was uh, shallow for oh, nice. um, Dave and Beth Woodward. I changed the lyrics for them about the uh, trials and tribulations of running a fire conference. But anyhow, let's get back on track here with the. The conference at or the uh, the conference the podcast. So David, twenty one years, Hillsboro, Texas. Yep, it's a public safety department. Yes, so kind of like let's let's just dive into that because there's going to be a lot of confusion because <clears throat> your title is major, but your chief of fire and rescue, yeah, uh, and EMS operations. So the the way we run our system and probably I think this is our thirteenth or fourteenth year doing it this way. <laughs> And, and I'll dispel the myth up front. Okay, everything just turned off. Oh, there you're still here. Uh, I am not a police officer. Uh, it simply hasn't been fit in my schedule to go to police academy. Uh, so how we do it, What the first thing we looked at is what we were going to do the most of, uh, and we knew that was going to be EMS. Uh, when we merged the police chief, became the public safety chief. And that was the best fit for the system. Uh, I'll tell you like a lot of times when it happens, were we surprised? Absolutely. Uh, we had gone through a couple of trials and tribulations as a system, uh, like a lot of places. We're a town of less than 10,000 people. So to even have a full career paid fire department and a full career police department uh, is, is not always the case, especially in Texas. It'll either be volunteer, you know, somebody will run EMS, but it's usually a volunteer fire department or the sheriff's office runs your, you know, police stuff. Uh, so we had both of those things. So our chief had gone on to better things. And during that interim time frame, uh, the city management looked at it and thought that that would be the best thing. I can tell you 13, 14 years later, uh, not that there hasn't been bumps in the road, but it it has worked out great. Uh, we we share things mutually. The majority of our staff is all EMS trained. 
and that fits best for us. Uh, any vehicle that stops at that incident can immediately start helping uh, to, to their skill level and then can stop that clock. Uh, you know, we've had, we run two paramedic patrol units. Uh, those guys, they're police officers, paramedics, and firefighters, and they carry the whole complement of equipment in their vehicles. Uh, they've initiated CPR, uh, you know, started doing life-saving measures, uh, have made, uh, both of them have been instrumental on the fire ground. You know, the, that PD model where they're, they're constantly mobile. Uh, mm -hmm. So they are getting to scenes so quick and making those initial uh, initial interactions with patients, initial fire ground decisions. Uh, we're actually going to honor a couple of guys. They made a rescue out of a second story apartment fire. Uh, and the, the sergeant paramedic on duty that night was instrumental in locating the victim. Uh, and then we had a guy, when the engine got there, the engine and truck got there, uh, you know, single guy, you're not, well, he's married, but a single 24 foot ladder throw to the window. He was straight up to that window. Uh, fortunately did not have to go in. Mom met him at the window, mm -hmm. uh, some very decent smoke, uh, coming out, handed off an infant, you know, several day old infant. And, and, and then he got her down, the infant down, and then was able to go back up and get the mom down. Uh, you know, we've made it work. Uh, what we focused on, and, and this is what we've held true to also, at shift changes for police and fire divisions, it's a staffing issue within that division. We've never pulled somebody out of a patrol car to staff an engine or a medic, and we've never pulled anybody off engine medic to, uh, to staff a PDE issue. May it happen for an individual call? Yes, of course. And the, but then you, at a certain point in every call, everybody's just loitering. Okay, go back to what you were doing, you know. Uh, and now, like a lot of places, you know, the finances, we've got issues that we've got to look at citywide. Would we love for both of our staffing levels to be what they were years ago? Yes. Do we? blend the staff when we need to yes um you know and it and that's going to be an issue everywhere and then that's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight uh when we talk about training training for what the realistic engine truck patrol vehicle uh a lot of days these are one person assignments one or two people and when you go to the majority of the classes that are out there Hey, we're going to stack you in, whether it's fire police or EMS, we're going to stack you into this unrealistic response plan because it meets the best education model for that moment. So we can rapid fire everybody through this skill. Uh, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate. I'm a, a SWAT instructor uh, for the last couple of years. And it's the same thing. We ask these officers, what is your normal response plan? Because unless you're Dallas, New York, Austin, that has dedicated SWAT teams, it's going to be a function of patrol. Exactly the reason we right. still have ladders on engines, that ladder crew may have to throw that ladder, or that engine crew may have to throw that ladder as they're splitting stuff and, and doing these assignments. And you know, we're already traveling down some rabbit holes, but our DPS system works. Uh, I love it. If you get hired in new to our system, we it you need to be at least one thing either firefighter emt or police officer then after you clear your first fto process we start looking for additional classes to send you to
Yeah. Uh, and we have yet to get rid of anybody uh, that, let me say this the right way. The day we hire you, we know what we're getting. We hope you will become more and we will help you any way possible to become more. But we were totally happy the day we hired a uh, guy or gal into the agency. And if they stay that way for the you know, 20, 30 years of a career, we know that's a blessing. Um, you know, and it, our people are highly sought after when, when they start getting all those certifications in line and stuff. Uh, you know, we got, we're so proud. We have guys and gals all over the state, uh, that, that are doing great things in the agencies they're with that have spent time with us. Right. So, so there's a couple things to unpack there. Um, so this public safety, uh, model with the, between the fire and police, like one of the things that I think is interesting about it is it's not. It's not a shock to anybody. So, like, you know, if you're a young buck looking to be a police officer and you want to go out and, and fight crime, like, <clears throat> there's an expectation here that we're going to have, you know, it's not, while that might be 90% of your job, there's this 10% where we're going to need you to step up and do yeah. X, Y, Z. And that's that's yeah. your part of the team. And I think that's, you know, from and that's how I, I was kind of taking it as you explained it. And that's yeah. probably why it oh, works. Sure. Yep. Um, because I, I often think of times where like, and I'm not advocating this for our area, for some of the officers that I know, but like how many times are they there giving the stare of life doing nothing? Oh, absolutely. Like and, even and if they did some minor stuff, like it would just make the outcome better. And ultimately that's what we're there for is that, that 911 call. And, and what we've found with the majority of the staff that have come on since we made that transition, and even before then, you start finding those people that, that are true servants, and they are able to see that call uh, for what it is, that opportunity to help. The, the biggest obstacle we had was in some of our customers – what you know because a normal police presence there is some barriers and there is some mm -hmm. distance built in automatically uh for for officer safety and 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 for customer safety and and we had one guy he'll remain nameless and he's he is extraordinarily good at what he does for us extremely good and and so good he, i mean he just has that reputation that you know, I get on scene and he's rendering aid to this this uh, female that had fallen, and she's just like, "Why is this police officer touching me? What is going on?" You know, and it wasn't anything brutality or anything. She just couldn't wrap her head around the fact that he was rendering aid, and right. and so you know, we we so much of life is branding, and so we we tell people, you know, these are members of our team. These are the people that are here to help you. Uh, you know, we we do not take away their gun and their vests and stuff like that. But law enforcement as a whole, as we've looked to make them approachable and soften their image to a degree uh, when they're in those situations. Like say that these days, you know, especially now, you know, past a decade in when they see anything with an H on it, stop. They know their problems about to get better. And for the longest time, and I have this slide and a lot of my things, something my dad said, for a long time, for a long time, other than the ice cream man, the fire department held that that uh, status. When we put the truck in park, 
it may not get better, but it won't get worse. You know, and we're one of the few professions, people, 3 p.m., 3 a.m., they are ecstatic to see us show up. Yeah. And because they're they're at their end. If they mm-hmm. knew what to do, they would be doing it. You know, you, you see the videos. You see that we, we stopped a guy the other day. Sir, we've got the fire. We are here. And he kept getting up in there with the green line and, and putting water on it. We see the videos of guys making miraculous rescues. Uh, we see the unfortunate stuff of, you know, parents or family members going back into structures and, and getting significantly injured or perishing themselves. Um, and which that's what makes it difficult and sad when we do start getting jaded. And we, and we all do. We all reach that level of cynicism. I can't believe we're going back to this call or to this address, this person. Uh, and are they frustrating? Yes. I'm not going to say they're not. If we realize the number of times that we have just individual one-time only contacts with people and put that into the perspective of the people that that are frequent flyers, you know, it it really is not even a balance. I mean, we we meet people for the only time we're ever going to meet them when they had the biggest need in their life. No matter where that fits in the sliding scale of BS to to holy crap, you know, Mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do. And sometime in the last 50 years, we told them, call us no matter what, we will come fix your problem. And, and now there's individuals out there that want to change that. I mean, uh, do I think we need to rebrand again? Yes. Uh, I think we should be very upfront more with ourselves, what we can't do and shouldn't do in some aspects, uh, you know, like our agency, we do not do hazmat mitigation. Uh, we call either, you know, Waco or up into the Metroplex. We have some private companies that will come do that stuff. We'll put cat litter and, and you know, Zorball right. down all day long and sweep up stuff, look <laughs> at it like this, you know, the, the classic stuff. Uh, and we'll do some scrub down stuff for the, you know, the other teams that come in, but the actual going in there and fixing the problem, it, it's not us. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, even with as much highway as we have, we don't get a ton of those calls due to some of the, the roadway yeah. regulations. Uh, but no. I, <laughs> well, and, and and I think that, you know, like the I, I'm interested on your take of this rebranding and, and, and really like the, um, uh, the, the word was just on the tip of my tongue, but like, and I want to say restructuring, but like that honest conversation, almost like a, almost like going to an AA meeting and talking about that fearless inventory yeah. of oneself, because like really, um, I think that like there are things that we've added in because some administrator thought it would be a good idea at one yeah. point, um, and then there are other things that like you know that's that internal external threat to the organization. Or problems. So, like up here in the Northeast, we're dealing with a lot with psych emergencies, psych emergencies that shouldn't involve the fire department. And I know there's a good, strong movement out there that talk about, well, a psychological emergency is a medical emergency and we should treat it as. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But there's a point where, like, we don't have ambulances to spare and our system is depleting them with somebody who is stable is yeah. willing to take that ride to the hospital 
and then they're going to get in our ambulance and a police car is going to follow them instead of just getting us out of the you know the mix totally yeah. and just solving the problem so like yeah i, th I think that that's a you know that's a good that, that's a, i mean really like kind of just dive in that mindset a little bit because i think that's that's worth going into the weeds on well no it so simply my opinion you know yeah the kind of like the medical the medication commercials where they describe all the symptoms you know out there oh my gosh i, I got this <laughs> overnight well, and I don't, and my guys will hate this. My wife, Night Court, when Harry Anderson's dad, you know, he played Gomez or whatever in the, you know, Adam's yeah. family, he came on and he's like, man, what? He told Harry, he's like, we're all crazy. I just got caught. And overnight, they've introduced all these different levels of mental illness. And, and I 100% think that the real, I will never doubt that, never even trip down that slippery slope. I think they're all real. I don't think they all should involve public safety uh, at, at different levels, but they threw this stuff out into the, the, the consumer marketplace and nobody knows how to handle it. Uh, I know in our system, uh, there are days that it is the easiest option to get that individual in the back of the ambulance and take them to a facility hundred yep. uh, percent. We've had police officers be tied up, you know, not literally, but I mean, having to sit at a hospital out of city for days because that hospital doesn't want the issue. And, and so it's a balancing act. I think one of the things we've got to look at uh, and, and we are able to address some of it, in a small part because the majority of our staff is EMS trained. Mm -hmm. uh, I think as they start to provide, I don't think they know how to tell us in emergency services what these mental disabilities look like so we can treat them. Right. Because on the EMS side, we're told from day one, you can't kidnap people. And if you're A&O appropriate, answer our little questions and who's the president and you taught the old dog new tricks and all the scales we've been taught. <laughs> we're then kidnapping you if we take you. Right. And I had a friend of mine tell me one day, he's like, you know what? One of you, police are fired, take them in this, no joke, literally across the street to the ER and have the doctor decide something. And I was like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What if that person wants to sue? Great. Great. I mean, cities get sued all day long for a million different reasons. You know what? You appeared to be this way. We don't have the tools to accurately diagnose, treat this. We're going to take you to someone that can. Right. And then whatever that doctor says, that doctor says you're not crazy. Let you go. Great. Whatever. Doctor says you do need some checkups. Great. Right. And if you want to sue me, it's Ridley, R-I-D-L-E-Y. Exactly. You know, and the attorneys can make case precedent out yeah. of it. It's not always an ambulance. Now, thank God it is always a fire truck. And and it, you know, we, we get caught up on the exterior of our vehicles more than the fact that that person just needed a ride someplace right. to people that could help them. And some, place, some days that's a bus stop. Some days that's uh, you know, the hospital or some other sort of facility, uh, obviously document everything. 
Yeah. Uh, never and say some, don't document. And and some uh, you know maybe treat them with dignity because that does never hurts anybody. One hundred percent. And and what we're about to be faced with, and we already are, as as everybody that has lived either military for being a nation at war for 20 years, uh, the, the pandemic and all the things that that created. And it's no joke, no, should be no great mystery. It's just hard to live and survive these days with the myriad of things, um, and almost literal landmines that are out there and navigate through uh, that weren't ever there. And it doesn't yeah. have to be, you know, some 90 year old person that their, their world has totally changed. We see it in our teenage sons. Okay. Wow. This is the things have happened so quickly just in their young lives. Okay. Yeah. You can't really say that anymore. Okay. Yeah. This is, not acceptable today. Did you realize your shirt was this color? You know, growing up, the only thing, and it was halfway a joke. I mean, oh, you're wearing blue over here, you know, Bloods and Crips and stuff like that. This is Texas. We didn't have that stuff. That was a movie out of LA. I mean, it, uh, you know, and, and then fortunately, and, and this is what I love also, especially about the neighborhood I live in, there's people that still wake up every day and want to go to their, do their job. They want to take care of their yard. They just want to raise their family, believe what they believe. And their only expectation in life is that I take care of my yard and do the same things. And we have a level of respect for each other. And, you know, and there's still people that will walk over, Hey, the mailman accidentally put this in my box Yeah, uh, type of stuff. And so, you know, and then you were talking about the rebranding, of things we need to decide if, if some of the things we're doing is still what we want to be doing. Uh, you know, I, I lived through my dad's career, you know, as, as the fire service really got into EMS uh, and in, in, in a lot of places, that's what saved a lot of fire departments. The fact that they were doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, I made the conscious commitment. It's probably been about a year or two ago. And I've, I've said it, and a lot of people have. We're an ambulance service that occasionally goes to fires. About two years ago, three years ago, I made the conscious commitment, no, no, we're a fire department that occasionally transports. And and I'll tell you right now, the whole night, and I say this always, uh, I'll say some of the dumbest stuff you've ever heard. There's a chance some of it might be smart. If it creates conversations, that people, even if they just argue over what I said or didn't say, I'm good with those conversations occurring at the kitchen table in the bay, bay room uh, and the tailboard talks. If thoughts floating over there. Um, well, I, I just want to jump in there real quick. Like yeah. that, that, that shift in mentality is so important because we can easily get crushed on the ambulance for one bad shift and yeah. miss that point. And I mean, I like I, I've started to change in, in the training position my outlook because I said somebody said, "Well, how, what's your plan?" I said, "My, my plan is taking us from a transporting BLS EMS agency that sometimes went to fire alarms to a fire department that also staffs ambulances." Absolutely. 
and and it's important to keep that out there and like lately you know the struggle bus has been real and it's no struggle to come through the fairview fire district but like keeping that mindset in everybody's head of like hey we're a fire department first like the district yeah. has taken these steps to ensure that there's people here for fire protection it may not be yeah. ideal but like you know and, and it's just that's a I, I I like that idea because it it even if you did ninety percent EMS and you still have that fire staffing and engines and, and trucks and, and rescue squads, yeah. whatever you got in that station, you're still there for the fire service. Like it's and just that is your... that is one of the hard parts where I'm at because we since we we have personnel for both. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's the same guys. Like tonight, there there's three people on at the fire station running an ambulance so obviously when that medical rings out two of them have to be on the medic and the other one's either you know a chase vehicle or something if the first call that rings out's a fire they go the opposite way and, and that's where our the police side there will be one or two officers that are all multi-certified fire trained they have like i said earlier they have the gear in their car when the system works the way it's supposed to one of the officers comes over and gets the medic unit that way, all if if the officer chooses, all three of them get on either the engine or the truck and, and go start making the difference. Um, the if and, and as an administrator, if I don't make fire first focus, I can't expect them to. And you know, and that's where the task, the things. Now, there's, you know, there's no way, you know, checking the ambulance is checking the ambulance. Truck checks are truck checks. Um, you know, and, and getting the ambulance checked, yes, that's one of the few tasks. Yeah, that's that is what it is. Uh, but every other task that we do in a day's time, almost to, and, and you know, I'm, we could make a list of a hundred things if we tried. Uh, but everything should have a fire ground significance to it that honestly, if it doesn't, I'm not sure why we're doing it. Uh, you know, and then going back, you know, and showing our, showing my age, uh, you know, the whole Mr. Miyagi thing, mm. it's still ridiculous to think that, you know, Daniel sanding the fence and waxing the car and painting and all this you know, oh my gosh, he gets in the movie and he wins the All Valley, you know, championship. Are we reinforcing those skills daily? And I, and I, my little blurb, I don't even know it's a class, but everything's a fire, right? You know, do we do we require fire ground functioning when we're not on the fire ground? You know, and and you guys like you know, and they're doing a great job of it. Spira and some of those other guys out there doing all the fitness thing. There's those functional fire ground exercises that we do. I'll get out every couple of you know about every other month. I'll just be at the station at the right time, and I'll I'll go out in the front, and I'll clean off the bay doors. I hold that brush or the squeegee or whatever. I hold it as often as I can, like I'm working a hook. You know, we still carry 12-foot hooks all the way down to, to four. And so as I'm working those upper windows, okay, let me reinforce that skill. Once again, it's something we don't do all the time. It's some of this. If, if I'm going to, and this is something I've required the guys for a long time, and then it, and it 
such a joy as an instructor and as a trainer, as, as a chief officer, when you finally see that flywheel start going to that perpetual motion, okay, they are doing it now because it's habit, it's expectation. It's, you know, we all get the begrudging compliance uh, at some point in life. If they touch the chainsaw, have they got a long, a long and short tool? Go back and pull out either ladder, both ladders, whatever. Uh, and at least once, you know, they work a 4896. At least once in your couple of tour cycle, drag all that stuff back. You know, it's almost a, if if the trucks and the, the injured trucks in the station, it's about 60, 70 feet to the, the dumpster pad area. We always got pallets or something back there. Go back there and make sure that stuff works. Mm -hmm. throw, throw the ladder, look at your tool. Uh, and it's amazing these days as realistic as all the games are and the stuff. I bump into more young firefighters and even seasoned firefighters that can't imagine stuff anymore. And I've always had a very vivid imagination trying to get them. Okay. You know, you brought whatever you brought, you brought a pig and a New York cook with you. Great. Take me through a couple of things you're going to do with those things. What are you going to do? How are you just going to transfer all this stuff up to the, the roof line, you know, or whatever's right. going on. Uh, and, you know, I love talking with people about hand tools and the functionality of each one, why they choose certain things. Uh, had a great conversation with a young man recently. He got a five foot Lockwood. Good tool. My only question to him was, is how tall are y'all ceilings? And he told me, you know, they're, they're closer to, you know, eight to eight, between eight and 12. I'm like, okay. And he was, I'm six foot tall. He was a little bit shorter than me. He's probably five, 10, five, nine, somewhere in there. I'm like, how difficult is it for you to hook 10 foot ceiling? Cause I mean, so much of a truck tool is that upswing. And you're almost at the end of your pendulum up on on a tool that's not you know six feet or you know six feet or less on most people. That's why most of them are graded eight foot ceilings. You know, and I'm six foot plus six foot plus my reach. Okay, I can throw at least two to three feet of momentum up into that. And he looked at me. He's like, "Crap, I didn't think about it that way." I was like, "Hey, don't get me assignment because working with a six to eight foot tool." absolutely sucks uh you know and maneuvering an eight foot or six foot tool through furnishings and stuff like that yeah all day long i'd love a four to six foot or a four foot yeah you know, four or five foot hook but anyway all over the place <laughs> it's okay um that's that's actually one of the points of all this so on the you know, we were talking a little bit before the we started, and then I, I kind of scolded us so we could get, get into some of this stuff. Like, when it comes to, you know, going into the training side of things and getting people ready for battle, like, you're in a unique spot because the makeup of the department, you know, you're, it's safe to say you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're dealing with a, I guess, I don't know how to call, talk about the staffing model, but it's, it's a good staffing model, but you're still going to work understaffed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we need more people like everybody. We need the ability to pay for more people. 
And then you couple that with where our location is uh, right now in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So Dallas and Fort Worth are the big cities. You got Arlington and Irving and Grand Prairie that are, you know, several hundred thousand people themselves. Uh, overnight, seat for seat, uh, a young firefighter or a police officer can almost double their pay by going up into one of the Dallas Fort Worth points. Right. We're isolated. Uh, when you look at the map, I-35 comes out of Fort Worth and out of Dallas where it touches on the south side. That's us. Uh, we're 30 to 30 minutes south of Fort Worth in Dallas and we're 30 minutes north of Waco. Um, you know, so, uh, but with that, you know, yeah, we need more people. What we look for with people and what we, what we try to train to with our people is above average performance at individual tasks. And, and, you know, they basically, you know, that physical agility, there was no, with, no one with you that day you took your physical agility. And, and thinking about this, and somebody reminded me that I'd said this the other day, or might have been my dad. Almost every physical agility is somewhere between five and six minutes in length as mm -hmm. the maximum time limit. And we all manage to do that and, and meet whatever metric. You know, I've, I've always been about a three and a half minute uh, type of person. Uh, and I've seen the people, a buddy of mine did one of them like in a minute 20 something and all these chiefs are over there, you know, and, and, and he, what I saw him do and his, his buddy after did like a minute and 11. I mean, they were just flying through this exam, throwing the ladder, pulling the hose, all this stuff. And then they were both in rehab for about 45 minutes before they could even function after doing this. <laughs> and I'm sitting over there thinking I could probably go again and probably do exactly what I just did again. And probably, and I've always had a, a decent recovery time, but we're all different in that aspect. When we get to the fire ground, all that stuff goes out the window for some reason. And there's guys out there that are absolutely crushing it with their, with their metrics. And we want to see water on the fire here. We want to see this. Right. A, Two to a three, a, if there can be three people step off other than your driver, chauffeur, operator, whatever you call them, two people should be able to accomplish the majority of fire ground tasks for the first five minutes. We should be able to have a door forced within the normal stuff. And that's one of the things that makes being an instructor hard, being a chief hard, just being a fireman hard. There's always some jackass that comes up, and I think you mentioned it the other day, that comes up with this so far left or right scenario. Well, well, yeah, obviously we would need, you know, some plasma cutting lightsaber to right. break through. I mean, yeah, we didn't. Well, obviously we're going to need 97 ambulances when the, the, the cruise ship falls out of the sky. And, the, you know, we were joking about that the yeah. other day. <laughs> what kills me is we know with almost a 100% accuracy what the tone's going to be for the next call. And very few times are we actually surprised that they said anything, you know, that was out of, we, 
And it's all district dependent. I know that. In my district, we know we're going to go on a lift assist. We know we're going to go to one of our three or four nursing homes. We have just under 40 miles of interstate highway. Uh, we are never surprised when they say anything's happening to a vehicle. Up to and including multi-vehicle, on fire, people trapped, right. all the bad parts of the Bible happening. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's Thursday, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then are never surprised when that's called two, three, or four within our stuff. And, and you know, and you find out a lot about your people when you have uh, different staffing numbers. Not taking anything away from all the guys that can ride four, five, 19 on their rigs. Do your individuals have to think past? certain points when it's never an option. I, in the past 18 months, and, and I've done it, I've, I've been one of them. We, in the past 18 to 24 months, we've had three working fires where we had one person that was available to go to that fire initially. Right. Uh, one of them, I was one of them. Uh, I just left the receiving facility in, in, in my vehicle and the, the ambulance crew was there. The engine was south of the city on a horrible accident, uh, assisting one of our partners on a, on a huge pin-in. And the whole way back to the fire station, I did scene size-ups. The only truck that, other than my Tahoe that was left at the station was our Quint. Uh, we have a 105-foot Pierce Quint. So I practiced size-ups as if I was in the Quint. The whole way back over to the station, I'm squeegeeing it at iced in Texas. I know the, usually the only ice we have is in our sweet tea. Uh, <laughs> it had iced. I was squeegeeing water out of the bay. The next call that rang in was a working fire. And I simply acted out what I had been practicing the 20 minutes before those bells went off. Uh, I get on scene. One of our senior sergeants is dressing the hydrant. The patrolman on duty uh, grab the line. We show all of them how to deploy our hose load. We do a bundled minute man. He took it perfectly to the drop point. Uh, I finished getting dressed, went inside, got lucky because they had, were adding other uh, other crews to that NBC that one of our uh, partners to our east was in motion already going to the wreck, and they diverted to the fire. Uh, so I was only by myself, yeah, five minutes, seven minutes, whatever. Mm -hmm. I know and, that. Yo, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and and I just I think the important thing here is that you know, like you know, we always say there's gonna be somebody out there who's like, well, this is ridiculous, but you know, maybe they'll maybe we'll get somebody to quote the NFBA for us in this podcast in the comments. That'll be great. I can't wait for it. But like <laughs> the, the reality is, there are departments all around the country who. There every day is there maybe broken up in three stations and it's a driver on every piece and then yeah. you got some kind of supplemental system. So it's John Wayne time. I mean, I know in my area, the city of Beacon, those guys are top notch at what they do. I think they've just bumped up. They have an officer on the ship now as well. So like nice. one of the trucks may have two people and I, I, I shouldn't speak on it because I'm not hundred percent on what they're doing, but like they figure it out and you have to figure it out because absolutely. You can say, hey, you should have four, you should have five, you should have this, but, you know, and, and I, I like the idea of the, uh, 
of the public safety department because like now these things are happening and you've you know and, and, and uh, you've trained the officers and how they can help instead of how yeah. they become experts because i've seen more times where you know and, and maybe in a rural setting where the sheriff's office or another agency gets on scene and someone's like well i'll pull this hose and yeah. you know it, they pull it out and then they take the nozzle it's got that pistol grip on it and they're like okay let me go forward and now it's big like it's just not you know so like that's i i really like the idea of this working on the low manpower i'm not i'm not yeah, advocating well, for it but it's it's well, working yeah it, it should never be it's not the perfect plan but it's a plan but it is a plan and it's a like, plan that we train for and when you look at things you know and you're, you're right Hey, I can't believe y'all are doing this. Can't believe you're doing that. What I can't believe is that we have individuals that refuse to train to those levels. And then I've thrown this out there a couple of times. Nobody's taken it. If everything is so important, and I'm speaking specifically to two and two out, I would like to have my second person at the next physical agility I do. If I take another physical agility test for a fire department, I'm going to request that I have a partner there. Because every single skill, with the exception of maybe the supply line drag, uh, if they do that, but every other skill, and I guess maybe the stair climb, if it's a CPAT, uh, I'm going to get written up and brought up on charges, uh, all these other things. You know, Dwyer in Georgia, he was there with other people, and they wrote him up. If I'm going to get brought up and potentially fired for being by myself, doing all these tasks, why is it acceptable that that's my entry into your, your profession? Right. It's not. That's, and I told you, you know, we've altered our physical agility over the years. This is a one per – everything you're doing for our physical agility – we consider to be a one-person assignment. If we can give you an extra person, great. And we can, and I know you're taking notes and everything. When I go find fire departments to ride out with, now is it awesome to see the volume of fire that big cities get and stuff? Absolutely. And, and I love seeing fire, love finding fire. Nine times out of ten, I'll go find a place that has either cement or building construction to ours. Or I'll find similar staffing. Uh, I'm still trying to get up to Brian Bastinelli in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I ride out several times a year in Highland Park, Michigan. When I see seasoned officers and firefighters make decisions because they have to act with what they have. Okay, wow, there we go. And if one person shows up, it's not like... Okay, wow, we had, hey, let's add an extra alarm to this. We got 20 guys coming. I wonder what we're going to do with 20 guys. No, I've got one guy that showed up extra. Okay, do I put them on search? Do I put them on hose? Do I put them on the roof? Hell, do I just put them out here in the street because we're about to have, we're eventually going to have 10 people, more people show up. Where are these seasoned officers sticking those extra people mm -hmm. to then get the maximum effort? 
And then going back into the training stuff, how many times have you seen or the engine? And you just see that guy buried up with the nozzle, and he's not giving that nozzle away. Right. Man, we'll flow water for a few minutes. Okay, contrary to popular belief, you can't float hook sealing forever. I'm I'm flowing water as he's hooking sealing. He needs to take a blow real quick. Okay, come take a blow on the tip, and and I'm gonna hook sealing for you. And we're just round leapfrogging the the stuff. The same thing if you've got a rescue. I mean, okay, let me hold the line like you were saying earlier. Let me protect us all real quick. Okay, you two go. Okay, let's trade out. Let's trade out. Uh, well, and, and it's really like that ringmaster position, right? Like yeah. the ringmaster's the one making sure the entertainment's going on for the circus. And I'm not, you know, that's not like a dig at us as our perfect, but like no, no. they are, they are calling the shots. They're they're the conductor of the orchestra. Yep. Like it's just a bunch of horrible noise if somebody's not queuing everybody in at those right times, and it's and and that's really where I think the you know I want to kind of go down a road here if you're okay with it. Like what yeah, yeah. what are the tips for success for the low manpower departments to start to start this training? Because the the IFSTA book isn't going to tell me how to do this, and that's not a <laughs> knock at IFSTA. Jones and Bartlett they have the same issue. I mean, any of the the stuff from. Uh, who's our next one? Penwell, right? Like, yeah, Penwell, you know, Brady, Jones and Barber. Yeah. yeah, they're they're all nobody's telling us how to do this because you know I I don't think they can. I mean, no, uh, I, there's they, no way they could say like, hey, this is what the standards are, so we're going to teach you, but you know, and not the exact opposite of this. But like, so what do we do? You know, I have a department who cross staffs equipment, and there's going to be times where we may win the lottery and all six or seven of us will go out the door to the house fire. But then there's going to be the one where it's two on an engine and two are racing back from the hospital to try to meet us on scene. Yep. So what are some of the things that we can start building up? And I think you said it before when you were talking about, um, I wrote it down. It, it you, you talked about it, uh, with, with the agility test. Um, yeah. One person assignments, um, and if we can give you the extra person, great. Like, so what? How, how do we start that project? So, what I would look at first, and I, and I think this gets one of the bigger arguments, at least in the open. Well, let me back up from there. One, you've got to have a communication model in your agency that at least is happening. Won't say it works because. So many times we're not employed because we're great communicators. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, even though my voice may sound all rich and all, oh, there's the, the Dave radio voice and everything, is the content actually making it to the, the end user? And so the find communication. I found that best years ago. Our captain, uh, we were having a rough go of things. We were constantly critiquing negative events and it was and no lie it was geared towards one guy who kept just screwing up and obviously our critiques which went bad because it was just us all bashing this guy or and bashing each other we started critiquing every call and what we found was we were doing way more things right and that guy was doing things right that guy knew what he was doing the one percent we were turning the one percent into the hundred we catch 1% of our calls or fires or major pin into whatever. And that's when we noticed he was having the most difficulty and we were treating that like it was every day. And that was not the case. This guy was a solid, solid employee that needed just work in those areas. And, 
and how none of us want to be judged on the thing we do 1% of, but we, we focus on those things. And so like I say, we, we started critiquing every call and we found so much more good, but the, and that opened up that, that laid that groundwork and opened up those areas of conversations when we did have things that needed improvement, it was all of us. And we all went back through traction splints or we all went back through the hose load, the, the whatever, whatever one person had had shown uh, a below average performance in, we all worked at it. So I would look at those things. The second thing I would have that's going to create argument and tension, and I talked to more people, the Lord has blessed me with more individuals that want to change their fire department from whatever they're doing to whatever this person thinks they should be doing. And I ask them all the same thing and it stops them dead in their tracks every time is what you're currently doing working. And they all kind of look at me and like I say, it stops them. And they're like, well, well, yeah. To throw this out into the universe, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the fog nozzle. It's absolutely nothing wrong with over, you know, pumping it because you're carrying low grade baloney hose and have that on there, and it still needs to be 100. Nothing wrong with pumping it at 140 to 150 and getting your ass beat because it puts out fire. We have more people in the fire service arguing hose loads and nozzles when we already know water wins. What's the best application for that? That's a totally different argument. So I would throw out there, you know, because there's something somebody's going to change, something somebody's going to do, is what you're currently doing working when you need it to work. Great. And th those two arguments happen. Uh, you'll find some things. If you got the money to fix them, you're frozen on my screen, by the way. Uh, oh, there you go. You were lost in thought. Oh. Yeah. yeah no, uh, I was writing this down. Sorry. Um. When, once you get past those things, what calls do we know we're going to go on? And then what is that expectation when we're there? And and then we started throwing these things in there as, as I don't always do A, B, and C stuff. But we, like I said earlier, we know we're going to go on lift assist. How we changed and modified our system, when that tone drops, what should happen the medic unit or the fire division will be assigned. And then at least one, if not two district patrol officers will be assigned to that. More times than not, the district officer gets there, handles the lift assist, does, does a comprehensive medical evaluation where appropriate. And most days cancels, cancels the, the engine and medic or the chase and medic, whatever going from the station. Uh, if it is something that's going to require further stuff, Okay, yeah, we've got the team going. Um, if we know that we're going to be going to fires and we know we're going to be going to wrecks, we take that stuff back and that becomes our daily, our quick minute drills and, and, and stuff like that. And you start to develop those clear expectations of, of what you expect for your tool assignments. Um, and you get to hear things, you know, and like I told you earlier, I like hearing why people like certain tools or why they always, 
why don't you ever go behind the engine? You always walk around the front of it. You know, there's always some random reason uh, and sometimes no reason at all. Okay, great. There's no reason. Uh, you know, don't want to tell you on that. There's some guys that like pulling the minute man onto their left shoulder instead of their right. Once again, don't care at all. My end goal, and that's where I was going with this, my end goal is that you have the line in place when it's ready to charge, we're able to then make our push and start fighting fire. I would do those things I said, you know, establish communication, establish things that, that are working and that you want to work on or need a change to working. Uh, because it may work and it may be working, but it may not work for us. And there's a million of those things out there. Uh, you know, and you get guys that want to change the color of the paint just because it still works. Right. Then I would fast forward to the end of the picture. And when I teach, especially hose load stuff, uh, a lot of times we will start at the fire room, at overhaul, at whatever. What is the end, expe what is the end expectation of the call we know we're going to go on? Great. And then pick whatever you're going to pick. You, you know, if you want to write them on three by five cards, you know, and lay them all out there. Okay, great. Lift assist. What is our expectation on lift assist? We want these things to happen. Okay, great. We've got Mrs. Smith up into the chair. Let's back up the next step. How did we get her to the chair? How did we get her off the floor? Was she in between the, and you start finding those little roads. Everybody look, stands at the side of the truck or at the, microphone or the, the speaker of the station and they see this murky gray all these lanes going out from that side i choose to look at it back towards the beginning and it's usually some very clear pathways how we got to here and uh you know my wife hates you know don't do a lot of them anymore when the boys were little the mazes you know that used to be on everything mm -hmm. well start at the end and work your way back well, you right. can't do that. That's cheating. Well, no, that's that's exactly what it's reverse engineering. You know, whole countries make their living off of reverse engineering stuff. We know what we, we want the end to look like. We know we want to stop the fire right here. Okay, great. We're right here. What does it take to do that? Well, man, and then that's where you get some jack wagon. Well, you know that's going to take two hose lines. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I know me and Rob, we both passed y'all's physical agility test, pulling a hose line, a charged hose line, 100 feet. I'm pretty sure we can still do that if all our fires are on concrete, you know, and then this and that. Right. We've, we've tested ourselves. We know we can move the 15 to 20 feet with a, a charged line, even flowing that line, God forbid, we flow and move. We know we can do that. Okay, great. So let's back it up from there. So really all you're telling me, is a skill that should take less than 60 seconds because most everybody in the, the the national fire service u.s fire service should be able to pull their hose load and have it at a point to start flowing water within 60 seconds <clears throat> that both you and i if we know the fire we're looking at because we've been on that fire that's a two-line fire two inch and three-quarter lines it's a 300 gallon fire that you and i can't do that Right. And and start, like I say, start backing up those skills. And then I use a little wheel, actually, 
and uh, I do this thing called three, two, just you, you know, with the staffing stuff, spin the first wheel and that gives you your layout of assignments. Uh, and then spin the wheel and that gives you the number of people that you have to do those assignments. Uh, once again, it's great when you have 20, 30 people showing up, you have a whole, you know, five, six person truck or five, six person engine to do all this stuff. I honestly don't know how those guys function. I've been to places, seen them, they're bumping bottles and knocking into each other half the time. And most of them are standing in the yard, you know, you know, uh, hook shepherds or whatever. We start, like I said, we back that thing up. Okay. Right here. What do we do if we got to force the door? Okay, great. We've already Rochambeaued at the beginning of shift over who's cooking, who's cleaning the toilets, who's doing all the, the crappy chores. Why don't we have, and most places do that. Most places have writing assignments. Hey, if it's on my side, I'm primary. If it's on my side, great. I'm the senior man. You know what, Rob? I want to force the door this time. So I'm, God forbid, I hold tools, hold hose. I've got it handled. You bring the, I'll bring my line. It's a secondary line. I got my set of irons. You bring the primary attack line. We've got everything we need right there. Cause we know what we want that picture to look like. Right. And, you know, and then backing that up in further into the training, once you decide what those pictures want to look like. And when I say pictures, I'm very real mean, take a picture of it. Perfect. And here's what our hose load looks like perfectly deployed to our drop point or to our entry point. I always teach it to drop point. Uh, because when we do that, back to everything's a fire, I ask my young guys and gals when they pull the stretcher out of the medic unit to treat that like a hose deployment. The medic's going to go out of the house 1,500 you know, times this year, almost 2,000 times, and, and probably pull the stretcher out well past 1,000 of those times. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we reinforcing another hose stretch right there? Stretch that to a drop point. Whatever you're going to do, do your do your functioning. If you're doing a mask up drill, go through the motion. Look at your ridge line again. Look at your look at the numerous things. You know, we could spend a while just going over what people don't look at when they're walking up the structures. You know, we're we're a balloon frame, pier and beam, almost all of our our downtown area. Yeah. And so those four steps up. Okay, great. I know that right there is that floor level i'm looking at my soffit lines or i'm looking at my window lines great this house has got 8 10 12 14 foot whatever it's going to be it's telling me all that stuff very seldom and not that it hasn't happened but very few times in the past two decades have i been screaming oh my god where's the stretcher we usually got time for that to get in there and time enough for those guys and gals to get a solid rep in of doing those things and, and like I say, making that, making that stretch. Uh, we keep doing that, keep doing that. They automatically, once they pull the hose load, first time they walk straight to the doorway, hang on, go to your drop point, do your stuff. Oh yeah. Drop point, move up to your advance point, your, your entry point, whatever, make your push. Um, and if we back it up to that, that's where we start seeing those similarities. And I don't know if I've mentioned it to you in the time we talk. It helps me in my thought process. I teach all three disciplines the same. The same, you know, the, as often as I can, fire, police, and EMS. We teach our officers when they're making 
advancing towards a doorway to stay off center, stay off the X, the same reason in fire. Now, the same reason in EMT, I tell you as an EMT, if you're, uh, I click some buttons. If the patient looks like they're about to throw up, don't be it. If they look like they're going to eject anything from any hole on their body, make sure it's aiming away from you, <laughs> preferably at the water. It's the same line of fire that's the flow path issues, same line of fire that is the, the bad guy wanting to shoot through the doorway. Why are we not reinforcing being off center all the way? And then when you make that doorway, any doorway we make should be a level and degree of authority. I was going to say violence, uh, but it, we should be going through doorways on purpose and then moving offline again because we just know that's where bad stuff happens. Um, in the, and then when we look at those things, I was talking to my dad the other night about this. As we move through those layers, well, hang on, we'll come back to that. Back to what we would talk to with short staff people. I would work on transitions and start making transitions and everyday focus. And then, and simultaneous with all that, and even with fully staffed people, you have to establish baseline times. And those become your baseline vitals. Same thing on the other stuff. You need to know exactly how long people under duress are in their bottles and, and have that working parameter. You need to know that that guy simply takes two minutes to, to do whatever the ladder or the hose or set up your, your jaws of life or whatever you got going on. It simply takes that amount of time. And then you can start working. Once you have those baseline times, because there's so many fire departments, they just don't want to know. Or they live under this assumption, well, I mean, it, it'll get done. We do it in a minute. We do it in two minutes. We do it in an hour. And then when you actually get the stopwatch out, okay, man, guys, this is showing this. And then you get past this is the other argument. This is the third argument you're going to have. You get best past the bullshit excuses. You simply, and then you're, somebody has to be the adult, maybe the youngest person in the room, maybe the most senior, whoever in your agency can be the adult in that moment that tells everybody be quiet. We're going to measure black and white. We're going to measure, we either made it or we didn't. And that's all based off that picture you want to have. And then this is where one of your guys gets to come in. And, and if you're struggling with an individual, and this is one of the most frequently asked questions, how do you get that guy? How do you get that gal? How do you get that? Uh, how do you get? And they always ascribe this stuff to them. One, you may not get them at all. And that's just facts of life. Give somebody the distinct role of offering grace. And as everybody's arguing, you know, you wanted to say whatever you wanted a minute and it's and it's 70 seconds and not 60. Or the hose load is messed up. They lay it down at the drop point and it's just total spaghetti. And they, they start that little kind of just griping. Guys, how do we fix this from here? Because that goes back all the way. And, and, you know, we were talking about instructors. We don't show instructors how to undo things. 
to then make them become things. All we showed them was the state skill sheet, go through these steps, and then we all inherently know how to yell at somebody when it's not. That's the universal instructor language is just yell at somebody and berate them somehow or whatever or walk away, you know, throw your hands up and somehow it'll instantly fix itself. Right. I'll hang on, find a coupling or find this. You know what? You had the ladder. The ladder throws a little easier this way or it does this way. Here's how to start the saw. Hey, young medic, roll it this way. How'd you get that IV? You know what? I had a better light. Sit on this side of the rig next time. The light's a little better. Or roll it up, cant it this way, you know, flex the arm. Whatever it's going to be, those are where those, and I call it grace because I think that's what it is. Because when you give them a measure of grace, they will be grateful and thankful. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Because you're not giving them something they can't do. Hey, guys, we the house is still on fire. The car still crashed. The person's still sick. We've got to solve our issue right now. How are we going to solve that? Here's a couple of ways to do it. And go around the room with them. I mean, if you got three or four guys standing there, hey, how would you fix this problem? Great. Jumble it all back together. How would you fix it? Great. We all just learned four different ways to solve this problem. Because as a company officer, as a chief officer, as a property owner, I need you inside fixing my problem. That's why I called you. Mm -hmm. From the kindergarten on, you told me to call your number and you would show up. Back to that branding thing. And now you're telling me, hang on, you <laughs> never said what I'm about to say before. <clears throat> Next October for pub ed season, let's give the kids, and I'm, I'll say it, the NFPA rules. Let's give them two in, two out. Can tell you how many pub ed deliveries I've given where we would put on the mask, hey, it's still Dave, it's still Rob, it's still the, you know, hey, we're here. We're coming for you. Don't be scared. Put the back of your hand to the door. Hey, guys, you know what? The rules say we can't. The rules say we can't. Our engine's only got three people. We got two guys at the medic. It's just Dave coming back from the hospital and on an icy night in Texas. One person with one truck was given one chance. And it's, you know, and you said it earlier, and I, I say it all the time. You know what? It's not John Wayne. It's right. It's the right thing to do. And we we ascribe this stuff to it. Oh, that guy's reckless. That guy's this. I'm reckless if I'm untrained. And back to the, and I've said this a couple times recently, the whole risk a lot to save a lot, risk a little, save a little. If you are approaching that statement and that problem in front of you, as a blank slate, yeah, you know what? You are risking a lot. And you are risking a little. You're, I'm 51 years old. My dad did 38 years. I was a part of his fire service career every day of his career. And then I've been doing this for over two decades myself. When I look at that problem, I'm throwing all of that at that decision. And have practiced throwing that at that decision. Now, if you've got to blow the dust off of things, this, that, and the other, those should be your training issues. You know, uh, I had an officer come to me recently, a, a fire officer, said, hey, one of the guys is just taking forever to make the decisions. I'm like, give him 30 seconds. He said, and then what? I was like, 
whatever he's done right then, start doing it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, you're behind the station, you're next the street next to the station, wherever you're at, start doing his decision and make it work. Because the only bad decision we do is inaction. And there's only a handful of times that that we right. shouldn't be doing anything. And, and those are so obvious, should be so obvious, uh, <laughs> you know, most days of the week. You know, a, a house fire, back to the physical agility. So wait a minute, I'm going to get in trouble now for advancing a line 100 feet and flowing water. You just asked me to incorrectly pull a victim 75 to 100 feet, but now I'm going to get in trouble for doing that. I've got to throw a one-person 24-foot ladder and raise it, but every textbook on earth says that's a two-person skill. I mean, how have the attorneys not jumped on that one? Right. And, uh, you know, and the same... I don't know. It, it, it's, and then what I would do with short staff, what I would do with any staffing, because I don't, I don't look at it as short staffed anymore. This is simply what we've got to do. And that's where that will comes in. Right. If, if I then spin it, great. It's two rescues and then fire attack. Great. There are houses you pull up to that the opening move and I like this with ReCOVS, and we talked, you know, you and I talked about evaluation methods. I think all the all the acronyms out there is what we should have as forms for our evaluations of the task that we should know how to do. ReCOVS was great with the VS on the side because ventilation and salvage are products of opportunity that, you know, salvage, you can do at any point in the game. And I've done it at any point. Uh, yeah. well-involved houses that all we were doing was just grabbing people's stuff because we weren't going to stop this thing at all. And then it walked back through hours after the fire was out. But ventilation, that may be your opening move depending on how the structure's presenting. Hey, wow, y'all get your ass to the roof right now, cut a hole. This is the one that needs it. And hopefully somewhere y'all have had that conversation at the table, at the tailboard, whatever. Hey, guys, with this type of blah, 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 blah. And then when you finally see that fire, the same thing on EMS. There are days that airway ventilation is our absolute opening move. It's one of our opening moves in mass casualty triage. Strangely right. enough, when we're working with limited resources, limited staffing, Walk up there and fix these. See if you can fix these one or two things. Move to the next task. Move to the next task. Move to the next task. Target acquisition and law enforcement. We target what we know to be our biggest threat. And we then we, we cycle through when we teach target acquisition and we teach those types of things. When we teach bullet drop. How does that not directly correlate? My, my skilled marksmen completely understand the effective range of hose stream once we show it to them. Yeah. And my hunters and all this and that, hey, guys, your deer's at 100 feet and you've got this. Well, we're not going to make that. And you're right. Let's move. You know, They totally get these things when you line it up for them. Um, you know, so back to the, the evaluation. Okay, yeah, I have those things in there. 
And so when I spin the wheel, I need to be able to transition as quickly as possible in between those things, knowing that I'm going to be gassed. And knowing, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, and then what are the maximum things I can do while I have all my strength? I am more apt, and I wish I'd have been doing it my whole career. It didn't always present itself this way. On uh, fires that we need to, our first bit of water needs to be initiated ex from the exterior. Mm -hmm. And then move to an entry point. I am more apt these days to pull two hose lines, yeah. drop one over where I know I'm going to make a window initiated or whatever I'm going to do over there, attic or whatever it is, and then drop one where I know I'm going to make entry. All I've got to do then, and some days this is a challenge, I just have to successfully walk from one hose line to the other. Pulling hose with – pulling hose laterally – through yards and through debris and through whatever your district has, that's a pain in the butt. And it tires you out. It you get king. You just get up getting angry. And, and like I say, when we moved to and the humbled country, real quick. Oh yeah, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then for me, and this may not be for everybody, I end up having to go to the ground more than I want to, and more than these old knees and and back and everything. You know, little little piece of twig, a stick, or whatever will stop a line completely uh, you know I, I simply have to walk over great that lawn's charged also or we got the fire out whatever happened great we're going if i bring one ladder why am i not bringing two you know well, you mean you're gonna drag our ladders yeah i'm gonna drag your ladder i'm about to set the whole damn thing on fire if we don't get this out i mean we most of the tips are scorched uh, I have a young guy that comes, he, he loves painting them all. So they're all, I asked a young, uh, another kid the other day, or is that him? I was supposed to say kid, uh, a firefighter. We had three fires last week and they were asking, you know, we we're divvying all the tools back up into the fire. And he's like, well, that's y'all's cause it's green. I'm like, that's not ours cause it's green. I said, you want to know that's lime green or whatever color it is. He's like, so you could see, he started rattling off all these things. He's like, that was the color paint that was on the shelf when he wanted to paint it because we had scorched the end of it. He power washed it and painted it lime green. If it was pink, if it was red, if we got yeah. glitter paint for some float we did, it would probably be glittered before too long. <laughs> uh, we're not just out buying on purpose paint for things, you know, or we buy one, buy on purpose once, and then that becomes what everything gets painted until uh, it runs out. Uh, it's But you look at those transition points, and then you've got to break up, uh, and I think we were talking about this the other day. You got to break up realistic chunks. You know, we, we were talking about the other day, you know, 15, 20 minute trainings, this that, and the other. Very few times in life does it need to be these hour, you know, these marathon deals. It has its place. The fire station, the bay is very few times that place. Right. Uh, the chunks you expect to work in. Um, and that should be based off once again, what your district is realistically presenting to you. First person, if all your fires are in big box Walmarts or warehouses or this, that, and the other, well, you know what? Yeah. Stretching two, 300 feet, a buddy of mine out of Charlotte fire. I'm so fortunate. I've, I've taken several classes 
from him and with him, we practiced, I think we stretched 600 feet and then went vertical to the fire floor. And I asked him, I was like, Jim, what are y'all doing in Charlotte? Oh, Dave, just the way the city's laid out. We may be anywhere from 400 to 800 feet away. And I'm like, holy crap, note to self, you know, that is not our district. You know, almost everything we got within 200 feet somehow or another. Uh, but work those things. Uh, the majority of the structures we fight fires in, in my district at least, they're 10 by 10 rooms, maybe a, a 12 by 20, a living room or something. Break up your stuff into navigable pieces in your bay or the side yard, or if you get an acquired, if you got a building, whatever. And then have those evaluation points and start programming in those things. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit, and this goes back to some of the stuff you saw me doing in Missouri. From the second you apply to become a member, it's my feeling we should start programming you the way that we're going to want to send and receive information to each other. And, and especially when you get in the building, okay, hey, we're going to go this far. Hey, why are we... Why are we stopping right here? I would love it if they asked me that. Why are we stopping 10, 15 feet in? Why are we stopping two feet in the fire station? Well, because the majority of our structures, it's already in the attic, whether we think it is or not, because of the way the construction style is. We are the city that when they they, they did that, you know, they used to tell us, walk in a foot or two and poke a hole if you can, see if that fire's above you man, let's, let's do that real quick right here. Let's have a conversation right here real quick before we go on. And we do that over time. When they get that fire, they go straight in and we go five, 10 feet, you know, 10 feet further. We know we're going to be at a transition point in the majority of our houses. Okay. Hey, tell me where you're at right now. Tell me, do this, the, the, the whole can report stuff. Right. <clears throat> The reason can reports suck, and I think it's either Mo Davis or Clyde Gordon, can't tell you anything because you keep talking on the radio. And I'm not saying this is the case, everybody. Most people don't know where they're at or what they're doing because we never ask them those questions. Or it's so silly. Hey, what are you doing? I'm mopping the floor. Okay, well, how long have you been mopping the floor? Ooh. Back to that whole work effort thing. How long are you in a bottle? How long How long is it reasonably expected to do a task? And by and, timing it, we kind of get that, that yeah. clock going. So, yeah, and so can they tell, yeah, can, they tell you, can they tell you back to those things? And I mentioned to, to you, I mentioned to a lot of people, if I break your life up into 10-minute segments when we're working, you won't be surprised when I ask you something or you'll instinctively, Hey, 10 minutes. Hey guys, we've been here 10 minutes. What are we doing? What are we doing on this traffic scene? You know, we're doing a traffic block. What are, what are we doing here? We know the longer we stay on the highway, our chances through the roof increase that we're going to get hit or something's going to go sideways. We know if we're 10 minutes on a medical, that's our trauma time. 15 is normally medical. If I program everything at 10, where am I at in those things? What are we doing? 
and and you get past those you get past the sit well because somebody's gonna puff up well i'm doing this this and this okay great is it working is it benefiting hey dispatch be advised we're gonna be here a few minutes longer and there's some days it's totally perfect to be where you're at if you know why you're there and where i'm gonna go with this one um our asthmatic patients, some of our diabetic patients, most times we treat them on scene, get them to a stability level. Uh, in some days, yes, they know ride. Uh, I'm not going to say they don't. That should never be the goal. Uh, you know, but some days those patients, once they get back to their stasis level, they know ride. Man, let somebody know that. Have that conversation. Hey, you know what? We're going to stay right here. Oh, wow. That's exactly what those crazy guys taught us in VES. You know, we came in here. Conditions are such that we're going to hold ourselves up. Hey, command, we're going to be here another couple of minutes. Or, hey, command, we're going to move in here. Um, you know, how many, and it may not happen for everybody. You get into the house with a respiratory victim and, the, and half the family's smoking. Hell, the victim, the patient's smoking. Hey, we're just going to move you out here and then have those conversations. Hey, what did it take to move them? Hey, what did it take this? Did you have to do this or this? Was your, was your pathway isolated or in, or was it unobstructed? Was it this? Was it that? Um, and you start those conversations, you start pointing out those things. Hey guys, did y'all see that room on the left? Well, and this is the thing that I hate about, what I've always been told is like the whole like, hey, every EMS runs a, a fire run and you can make it into something. But nobody ever actually laid out the groundwork and how to do that. Yeah. Nobody ever said like, this is what you're looking at. Like they're like, you know, maybe something about hose stretch, but nobody was actually like, there's no, there is no. So I like that there's an idea for a template with this to yeah. actually make it work because that's really what's missing a lot of times is a template and how to say like, all right, we're here with this asthma patient, you know. They're not going to go to the hospital that's because things are stabilized. But like, if we VES this room, what are we looking at? How do we get in here? What's Absolutely. that pathway look like? And 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 it's because and and just from my experience and in, in my other training business, mental visualization is always that cue for me. If I can see it, yep. it's not going to be the first time. Absolutely. Like, and and when we reach out and touch that patient for the first time. Victim, victim, victim. Mm -hmm. And how many times, and even in, you know, even regardless of your staffing, anybody standing around not doing anything that helps with that initial patient contact, if you pre-program it in, hey, find us another way out of here. Find us this, find us that. Hey, dispatch, we're coming back out A side. The, the problem we had was not getting the guys on board with it. And, and do they do it every time? No, they don't. The problem was when we had uh, some of our part-time dispatchers or, or county was, over, oh, my God, are y'all at a working fire? No, we're at a toe pain over on Smith Street. Well, why are y'all talking like fire? Well, because we're going to do this call 2,000 times, and, you know, and we've had a very yeah. busy fire year, and we're going to do fire 100 times. Uh, no, we're getting these reps in. You yeah. know, somebody do a quick 360 or a 180, do a whatever. Somebody's on that scene that's not doing anything beneficial. 
uh, or not, I hate to say it that way. They're not doing anything to assist with the immediate patient contact. It's usually the medic or, you know, whoever up there. Um, and, and have those things become those things. And then when you actually add smoke and fire, and well, and this goes back to when you, back to those, any staffing, when you get those other things lined out, you know what picture you want to have. You're now creating that picture. And then you're, and then when the picture's not the way you want it, and this is the the absolute most difficult thing on earth to do, if the picture is not the way we want it, we stop real quick and fix it. And so many times, uh, you know, I, I live an hour away from the station, so I, you know, if they call right now, it's going to take me, you know. 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the street lamps, to, to get in. I got on scene several years ago, and the deck guns flowing into this tree would not have made a single difference in the outcome of this fire. Would not have at all. Right. Uh, I walked up to the IC, and I was like, please tell me that hadn't been flowing into that tree for an hour and 21 minutes, however long it had been. And what they told, well, I mean, what had happened? He stopped the truck, this, that, and the other. Take the truck out of pump gear. Tell everybody we're going to pull forward five feet and let us put what's left of this house out, X, Y, and Z. And there's some great video out there, and it's somewhere up in your neck of the woods. These guys park the truck, the ladder, and they, they even bring it over a couple of times, and there's this gorgeous cherry tree. And I don't know how long it – how many eons this cherry tree has been there. They actually get the chainsaw out at some point to try to cut down this 100-plus-year-old cherry tree out of these people's front yard. And they finally – somebody comes out, and you see the hand shaking or whatever. They bring the outriggers up. They back the truck up about 10 feet, throw the ladder to the, the roof line. If you can get it – now, don't be an ass – but if you can get them to that point, hey, guys, it's not right. Let's fix it. And then you've already, like we said earlier, oh, wow, we know four ways to unfoul this hose load. One of those being just leave it right there, pull another hose. Wow, Rob, you successfully screwed that up so bad. We're just going to we're just gonna leave it. We're going to donate it to the Smithsonian. We're just going to pull more hose. <laughs> Perfectly acceptable option. What's not acceptable is you sitting there limping it you know, throwing water old west style out of your 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 nozzle because you got ninety six kinks on the way up, right? You know, but you've settled all that stuff at the at the station in the side yard or in the practice house or whatever. Uh, and that young guy know or gal knows that when they get the nozzle, because I man, I, I it's one of the few I don't even I don't get mad anymore at this, but they're sitting there holding their two feet of hose with one hundred ninety eight feet or whatever your hose load is, length, all knotted up behind them, and they're sitting there just looking for the other guys that are working. More pressure. Yeah, more pressure, or, hey, where's all my kinks? Kinks, give me more. Well, we'll put the nozzle down. Go back there and sort your problem out. You know, this, that, and the other. And that comes through reps and sets, and, and then letting it fail so you can then let it succeed. Uh, and because and, it's, it's a conscious act, to, to succeed or to fail. And then what I love about the next part, and I think this is where fire academies get it wrong day in, day out. 
then and only then do we start adding in the levels at which these events can probably occur. Uh, and there's there's multiple levels. You know, fire academies, they want you down on your belly doing this horrible thousand yards crawl up the beaches in Normandy while they're yelling and screaming all these things that they probably haven't experienced because they don't want to tell you what I'll tell numerous people. For 21 years in Hillsboro, I've walked the most fires. There's only a handful of fires that we were baked to the floor, that we were running away, or that, um, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Most of them, we got off the rig, stretched the line, walked over to where the problem was, and, and fixed the problem, or did whatever we were going to do. Fire academies, they want, they have a little list, and I'm, I've never seen it. I think it exists. Make this as absolutely difficult as humanly possible. That way, when the commission or the state or whoever comes and says, What'd you show them? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Oh my gosh. We ran them seven miles and then had them do all this. We even slipped a set of bees inside the room. So it was just stinging. What? And the guy's like, man, it looks like they all had it tough. And everybody gets to beat their chest on the instructor staff. And the students, they didn't learn a damn thing. One, because we know this exists, auditory and visual occlusion, and just plain old pissed off. Right. They're mad and all these three things are happening. They haven't learned a single thing out of your drill other than, man, I don't want that to ever happen. <laughs> how can we never show them how to accurately use a fog nozzle? I was showed exactly what not to do. Okay, open it up. And I steamed us all down. And they're like, yep, don't ever do that again. I'm like, well, hang on. What's all the reasons that I should do it right? Because this one chance that I'm going to do it wrong now has infiltrated my mind. Oh my gosh, every, every time I'm touching this, I'm about to kill us all. And we're all going to be in the burn ward. No. Keep it on solid. Whatever, whatever you're going to do. There's a place for wide fog, even. So start doing it at the levels. And, and once again, everything across. Uh, the only thing that gets easier to do on your belly, and, and you know this firsthand, I think from your side job, is shooting. Uh, when I go totally mm -hmm. prone, that's my most accurate shooting position, but I give up mobility for stability. Right. And, you know, and, and I, and I love shooting. I would do it every day if I had the money and the time. And then uh, I have to get up. That's the other thing. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and I may even qualify this week. Uh, if it, I can't remember if it's this week we're doing qualifications. Um, uh, the same thing in fire and EMS side. If I have to go to the ground, I'm giving up my mobility to have certain things happen. You know, if I'm at the ground with a patient, okay, it's because things are going sideways. Right. Uh, if I'm on the ground as a firefighter, obviously the conditions, conditions determine your position. And now one thing to fire service is getting right uh, is there so many instructors now that are totally bashing the crap out of the dog crawl uh, that that was taught to so many of us as the search technique and the and the hugging the wall and, and that stuff. I did a class or I was a part of a class recently and, I, and I'll tell you, I, I'm so fortunate I get to teach with uh, Sean Duffy and build your culture and we were at a class uh, live fire search that we were both doing 
and we're sitting there looking on the thermal, and it, it wasn't half. It was about 25% of the group. Their opening move was to go straight to a wall, and they stayed straight on that wall and found found uh, anchor points, or they found walls the whole time. And the, we tried to stop them. Okay, you missed this whole part of the room. Uh, we didn't intentionally screw with them. Uh, the majority of the vi victims were where we know from firefighter rescue survey that we were going to be finding victims. There were no victims like locked all up inside stoves or, you know, right. all this crap, you know, victims were where the victims were supposed to be. Uh, Cause we got to start reinforcing that stuff, you know, and, and the guys who make up these silly, silly drills um, where victims might be. I mean, sure. Why not. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to make it out or they got killed right where they were in, in, in transit to someplace trying to get. Down. But anyways, uh, yeah, the levels of stuff and then, you know, the extended stuff, standing, crawling, uh, and then somewhere in between. I had to look there and I, and I, and I found the, uh, the JPR from New York state that, that says like, you know, make sure you're maintaining contact with your partner absolutely you know, and should just say dog walk but yeah and well and that goes back to you know communication is so important regardless of staffing mm -hmm. are you working on those things from second one of being with your crew being with a new guy being with whatever position you are in the system are you having conversations and i ask my guys and gals uh at least once in their 48 if not every you know couple of days uh, you know, once in their tour cycle, have a full conversation, play a board game, read the newspaper out loud to each other, whatever it's going to be on air. That way you start learning that mask language and, and learning those things and then start, and once again, levels, add in the distance to things. Uh, you know, normal fire stations, pretty good for that stuff. Uh, you know, and if I've, you know, programmed in that 10 minute thing, okay, you're either finding, bumping into your other firefighter or crew, or they're bumping into you. Uh, and you just learn so much by that stuff. And then mm -hmm. it immediately translates to the fire or to any scene because they know what you're saying. They know your nuances. They know your, in, you know, your intuition. And especially in the fires, when you're masked up and stuff, oh, yeah, you said this. You know, I think we talked about that. I've, yeah. I've been on so many fires where whoever I was in there with, we get outside and they're like, were you talking to me? I'm like, we were the only two people in there. Who else would I have been <laughs> who, talking to? Who else was I on the phone with? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, and, and it's usually we need to practice this stuff. And I'll, I will hear, I'll tell a funny story. We know what we need to have done. Great, we're on the hose line. Spray till you can't, or or I need more hose, or I need a backup occasionally. Sealing work and all these things. We know those things. Say those things and start having them be a part of it. Almost like a Mad Lib, you know, at, at around the table or around the the tailboard or while you're mopping, uh, you know, the, the bay and doing that stuff. Uh, for those few surprises, and I had one several years ago, the short version of the story, me and the guy in between, he's one of our part-time guys, but he's in the chief of the department 
just uh, east of us. Fantastic fireman. He and I are in their fighting this attic fire. We come out, and our fire marshal is the one who saw the fire on his way into work. And this this guy steps straight out of the old west, and uh, he comes up to me. Do I think I can go back inside? And I'm like, absolutely. Let's change bottle. Yeah, it's, it's still all in the attic. The the living area totally clear. <clears throat> did you see a bobcat inside the house? And I was like, what? did you just say bobcat? No, I didn't see a mountain lion inside this house. And sure enough, there was. And Kyle found it, and I ran away. Uh, you know, at that time, 17, 18 years doing this, I'm going to get killed by being mauled by a cougar. But it's yeah. stuffed, right? What happened? It was stuffed. No, no, this sucker was real. Uh, Kyle goes in there. He's going to say, here, kitty, kitty. He gets out, here, kitty. Ah, like that loud, like all my hair, well, hair on my arms and stood up. And I was like, <laughs> I'm out of here. It was one of those cross breed things yep. or whatever. So it was mountain lion plus tomcat or whatever. And <laughs> it, it was supposedly as scared as Kyle was. It was nowhere near as scared as I was because I left. Uh so. Well, Dave, this has been fantastic. We've been going for about a little over an hour and a half. Okay. Um, and we got to wrap things up here. But where can people find Dave Pruitt? So definitely come down to Hillsboro, Texas, um, for sure. Uh, I am on the book of faces as me. And then I'm also live fire acquired. Uh, one of my specialties or my niches is uh doing trainings and acquired structures i help out a lot of people uh in texas and around the nation with their their putting fire in real buildings uh either consulting or otherwise uh and uh that yeah live fire acquired at gmail.com uh, is a good way to get a hold of me and then yeah if, if you find me on facebook um uh, you know, either on the on that page. I always apologize for the page. I'm getting better at working it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to get all the content on there and stuff like that. Uh, and then I, I go to a ton of conferences. Uh, I usually try to stay low key. Uh, most of my life has been spent inside burning buildings, smoking fire. So I'm not the face of too many things. I let that be uh, guys like Duffy and Dave Mellon and, and, and the rest of those cadres I get to work with. But, uh, yeah, definitely, if you see me at a conference, I'll be uh, – I'm at FDIC this year presenting twice uh, the passionate pursuit of the seven Ps to perfection. Uh, and we go over some of the things we talked about tonight, uh, go over how to plan and prepare for the events that you know are going to be happening. Um, and, yeah, drop me a line. Uh, I love talking about fire and making people better, and, and hopefully that's what we're going to have – happen keep happening awesome oh, i was just getting my uh just getting my picture for our for uh, and it came out horrible so that's great <laughs> this this is my face yeah. uh, well dave thank you for no absolutely thank, thank you for coming on frontline mindset and diving into all these topics i i appreciate it i know i took about 40 pages of notes so that's gonna be fun to uh go back through with a lot of time here. So, um, but David Pruitt, major chief, uh, yeah. in Hillsboro, Texas, 
Department of Public Safety, but you're a fireman. I don't care what yeah. they say. So, I'm a fireman. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Hang out for a minute here. Everybody, yeah. thank you for joining me. National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. This is Rob. David Pruitt from Hillsborough, Texas. Live Fire Acquired. We will see you guys out there.